Hi, and welcome to On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. Today, we're joined by Neil Inslee, CEO of the National Alcohol Beverage Control Association, or NABCA, along with Buddy Buckner, Associate General Counsel for NABCA. NABCA represents the control states in the U.S., of which there are 17. That's right. And NAPCA's annual legal symposium is coming up. It's actually uh, March 12th through uh, 14th, I believe, in Arlington, Virginia. And the symposium covers the many legal and regulatory ramifications, issues, and questions facing the control states and the entire beverage alcohol industry. So we thought it would be interesting to explore some of these pertinent topics ahead of the symposium. So thanks for joining us today, um, Neil and Buddy. Thank you, uh, Melissa, Kyle. Great to uh, be included in this, and we appreciate you uh thinking of us and, and some of your, uh, our for topic of one of your great podcasts. And um, we're always excited about the legal symposium. Uh, as you may or may not know, it's one of, uh, it's really the only one that we host throughout the year that is purely open to the public. Um, and uh, anybody can attend. Some of our meetings are limited to membership and things, but the legal symposium is uh grown in such popularity over the years, and it's so substantive. We think it's important to keep it open to the general public and invite anyone who's interested in the topics and, and in that area of law or regulation to attend. Well, what are some of the topics this year that you think the public might be interested in? Well, Buddy uh, is our, uh, as you said, our associate general counsel. Um, he took over this role for me prior to being named CEO. I was the Association's Council. Mm -hmm. So the scepter has passed to Buddy, so I don't want (laughs) to steal his thunder. He's worked so hard in putting together yet another great program. So Buddy, I'll let you go into some of that if you like. Sure. Thanks, Neil. And it's great to have been able to build on a foundation that uh, really you set uh, in a lot of respects. Um, Every year we try to uh, incorporate and involve some new voices, but also lean on those that have been in the industry for a long time to maintain um, as many perspectives and and viewpoints as we can. And this year we're going to continue that. We uh, we're focusing on some of those hot button issues, your technology, its impact on the regulatory environment, some of the litigation trends, everything from the Treasury report and some of those competition dynamics to uh, labeling and all things in these uh, these new risks and new exciting areas uh, that we love to see, but also might leave some open-ended questions with respect to uh, what the state of play may be. Yeah, you know, I do want to ask you some of these open-ended questions and maybe dive a little bit deeper in some of these topics. Before I do, though, I just want to ask you, you, you talked about the history of the legal symposium there. How did the legal symposium come about? Well, Kyle, um, it, it has a, a long history. It's one of... Uh... One of our programs that started in the 90s, and initially it started as kind of just a legal briefing, if you will, for some of the members and attorneys and regulators that were interested in some of the topics of the day that were going on back then. It was so substantive, again, that uh, people really uh, enjoyed it. It was done two years like that, about, I think, uh, as kind of a briefing, and then realized that, you know, NAPTA realized that this is something special and uh, a lot of interest. So it was developed more into the symposium that it is today. And it's just continued to to grow over the year. I think 
over the years. I think in 94, when they had the first official one, it was 50 participants. Uh, our highest was a couple of years ago at 350 participants. So, you know, it's just evolved and grown over the years. I will say, you know, as much uh, of the credit as we would like to take at NAPCO, really the success of the legal symposium uh, is predicated upon our planning committee that we uh, request volunteers every year to see if they want to participate. And these are practitioners across the spectrum and also regulators and policy folks that we bring together. Uh, we try to be as diverse as we can in selecting that group uh, that helps plan. But, you know, if you want to put together a good agenda, best thing to do is, you know, ask the folks who see it and work in it every day. And I think that's really contributed to year over year uh, what makes uh, the legal symposium such a great program and it's good attendance. Right. So we mentioned before that some of the technology topics that you'll be covering, which I think are things like the metaverse 2.0, NFT, crypto, um, and all that stuff. Can you give us some examples of some of the topics you'll be covering at the symposium? Yeah, absolutely. I think you definitely, you just hit on a couple um, with respect to the metaverse. And that's actually the continuation of the conversation we had last year. And we realized, given the turnout and some of the commentary thereafter, um, that there's not only a real appetite to chew on and discuss these kind of gray space compliance areas, uh, but there's also a big opportunity just for education for everybody involved, um, especially with these newer technologies. Sometimes to properly regulate, you kind of have to take that step back and go, okay, well, what am I really dealing with here? Um, and where are those pain points? And we try to bring as many people into the room that have that subject matter expertise to, to illuminate those pain points and really have those conversations that, that move the entire industry forward. Yeah, I think one thing we've certainly seen after COVID, you know, it accelerated so much in so many different industries, but uh, also the alcohol industry and, and particularly, uh, you know, being a regulated commodity, there's always policy regulation and legal ramifications on any pivot or change. Well, there was some big pivots and change uh, that were the result of COVID that really kind of changed the regulatory landscape. And, you know, the, the use and leverage of technology was probably advanced uh, exponentially during COVID, you know, instead of maybe a decade window for some of these concepts and things to come about, we're talking about a five-year or shorter window uh, in some cases. And anytime there's, uh, I'll use the term, you know, market disruptors, but anytime there's change in market or technology, it always falls back on the regulators and the legal system and, and the courts to really fit in how they are going to come into play, what boundaries need to be put in place to, you know, stabilize the industry or protect citizens. And, and these are all the things that encompass that discussion that we think uh, we've always, you know, certainly since I was involved in Buddy, we've always tried to carve out a session at least a session on some of that emergency merging technology and leveraging technology uh, with an eye that it will have uh, some downstream effect, obviously, in, in law and regulation. Can you think of any specific examples of um, where uh, the control states have caught up with this technology in recent years as COVID sped it along? Absolutely. I think if you look at things like cocktails to go and how quickly our states were able to adjust and pivot to really a, an unknown and unprecedented environment. Uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't congratulate a lot of our states and their leadership on that front. I mean, so many people, especially in those few months of COVID, 
Uh, I just had no idea how to plan, no idea what the timeline was going to be. Um, and so engaging and leaning into some of these novel concepts like cocktails to go where I'll, I'll note that Iowa was the first to make it permanent in statute, but those lifelines to businesses and, and to family businesses um, and, and such a critical and tough time, I think, uh, is a brilliant and great case study on how effective the control model can be. Yeah. Um, and oh, sorry, Kyle. Well, I was just going to say, I often think of the control states as being a great example, or I should say COVID-19 being a great example of where the control states shined in their ability to uh, react uh, so quickly and uh, effectively for the uh, alcohol businesses affected. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Kyle. And a lot of that was attributed to, and you know, back in another lifetime when I was chairman in Virginia, I kind of saw firsthand, you know, uh, some talk about in the control system, you know, is there this dichotomy between regulation and sale? Well, there's also a lot of incredible efficiency. And I think mm -hmm. we saw some of that during COVID where by, you know, uh, many of our member jurisdictions, they didn't have to, it wasn't two and three or four agencies involved in coming up with a quick policy pivot. It was one agency that could go down the hall and talk to their enforcement division and then talk to their wholesale division and quickly assimilate and put together a game plan. And and we saw that play out in, in real time during COVID. Absolutely. And if I could chime in here, Idaho as well. I mean, yeah. you look there, they even pivoted beyond, you know, alcohol distribution. They were helping with PPE. I and mean, there's a lot of examples where our state agencies, um, especially in some of the rural states, just leaned into other areas um, that historically weren't under their purview. Um, I mean, COVID compliance and going out and assisting with various businesses. A lot of our states were at the tip of the spear there. So to Neil's point, it's just incredible to see what government agencies are capable of when they're properly empowered. Yeah, for sure. It was amazing how quickly all that happened, even with the cocktails to go. It was something, you know, people thought would never, ever happen. And suddenly it did very quickly. And now it's it's becoming, you know, permanent, just a, a way of life in, in so many places. Yeah, I think the, the value, again, uh, with the control model is, you know, you have you have organizations and entities that never uh, they never lose sight of this being no ordinary commodity and that, you know, it, it enjoyed responsibly. Uh, it is a, a great product, but there are affiliated harms uh, that can come from its misuse. And uh, that is something certainly uh, the the control systems and, and government always keep an eye to make sure that uh, it is being done, whatever the policy decision uh, to stabilize business or to create level playing fields and all of this have an eye towards that public safety. Right, right. So I see that you're also going to be covering another hot topic, which is the low and no alcohol beverages, which is certainly a big thing in the on-premise as well as off. Can you tell us a little bit more about what panelists will be covering in that session? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's going to be a really fun conversation. Uh, we're fortunate to have Courtney Armour uh, from Discus, Mark Serini from the Beer Institute, and then Michael Newman, who's an attorney that's been in the space for a very, very long time. Um, and the three of them are going to have that conversation on, obviously, the compliance and, and the legal considerations on low and no, uh, but also sort of the state of play there and, and explain how that fits into some broader trends and to circle back to Neil's comment just a moment ago on enjoying thing, enjoying the products responsibly, uh, this low and no trend, I think, is very reflective of that, right? I think you mentioned earlier, a decade ago or two decades ago, cocktails to go would have been unheard of. Well, 
Same thing, right? I can think back uh, to when I was selling alcohol um, in the private industry. Oh, Jules was kind of the only low or no product out there, right? So um, it will be interesting both as a legal question, but also to hear from those that are from the industry and know these products so well. Yeah, I, I it's also a trend in, um, you know, and I, I have two teenage boys and, you know, comparing and contrasting how they acted <laughs> how and uh versus how i acted at their age <laughs> you know there really is this younger generation coming forward they, they really are health health conscious mm. they want to have fun they want to have a good time but they're very aware of uh many are very aware of uh related harms and concerns and making healthy life choices so it's, it's very interesting to see that pendulum i've said you know and others as well i've said many times in the alcohol industry the pendulum uh is uh it continues to swing there's certainly a savvy generation in that regard. I completely agree there. And you know, you were bringing up something that I enjoy. I, so I've attended uh, NABCA Legal, obviously, many, many times through the years. Sadly, I won't be there this year. Our uh, associate editor, Jamie, will be there in my stead. All right, um, that's it. We're canceling it. That's right. Stop the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, and what, you know, speaking of the no low movement, one of my favorite panels to attend always was the um, the, the panel that discussed the idea of what is and isn't considered alcohol anymore, or I should say products that are kind of pushing against the edge of alcohol. And how do you regulate some of these things? You know, I think maybe like the freezer pops or the powdered alcohol. I know those are extreme cases, but you know, even some of these low, no alcohol products, they, they look like alcohol. Are they alcohol? How do you make sure minors don't mistake them for alcohol? This is always one of my favorite topics at NAPCA. I just, I know you expanded on this or I talked a little bit about this already. I, I didn't know whether you want to expand on this topic at all. Yeah, I think we'll definitely touch on that in an, across sessions and in a variety of contexts. Uh, we're seeing a lot of legislative movement this cycle on that very issue. Uh, we've seen it here in the Commonwealth. There's some bills working their way through uh, with respect to how those products are placed within the store. How that develops and in what form these conversations take, I think will be a little fluid. There's a few on technology, uh, but we're also kind of leaning into a lot of sessions where it will be conversational. Uh, so I'm excited to hear from some of, uh, you know, our experts, um, who will share kind of their own experiences and Neil, what, what are you kind of hearing on that front? No, I, I mean, I think it's, uh, it, it certainly is something that we're going to have to keep an eye on and keep the conversation going. And that, you know, that's core to NAPCA's mission. Uh, as a matter of fact, in our mission statement is, uh, the free flow and share of information and collaboration. And that's, that's core to who we are. And, the more people from diverse backgrounds that you can get in one setting talking through some of these things, sharing ideas, um, you know, in a, in a professional setting and, and being open minded about results and outcomes, you, you can move the needle. And I, I would hope, uh, you know, anecdotally, we hear every year uh, after the conference from either practitioners or one of our states about something they picked up that they expanded on themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and 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 help to develop a good policy or something. And, and that's really what it's all about. But, you know, as it relates specifically to like product placement and things, certainly the low and no. But uh, I think another topic of discussion is, you know, we have some new uh, new products and and companies entering the market uh, that historically have been in non-alcoholic beverage market. Um, you know, so you always have to be uh, mindful of product placement and stuff with, with new products. And, um, you know, we saw that uh, years ago, a little bit during the uh, high, highly caffeinated stuff. And some states passed regulations that said, 
it has to be placed with the rest of the alcohol. So these are all policy discussions that we love to have and vet out from the experts at the legal symposium. So we're almost out of time. I figured maybe we should close with a big picture question. So how would you describe NABCA's role in the beverage alcohol marketplace? We have many roles. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> uh, you know, we are, uh, we are a, a player in this space. Again, I think uh, first and foremost, it goes to, again, what I mentioned earlier about the collaboration and the free flow and share of ideas. NAPCA has never gotten into kind of putting forth best practices and, and things like this because, you know, we uh, uh, believe in and respect the 21st Amendment. And, and at its core, the 21st Amendment says the states get to decide. Uh, their constituents of each state gets to decide how they wanted to, you know, sell, distribute alcohol within their jurisdiction. So one size doesn't fit all. And that's not a bad thing uh, because it's representative of what the individuals in that state want to see as far as this regulated commodity and on the market. Our role at NAPCA is to make sure we are facilitating, providing good vetted information that is non-biased. It's, uh, you know, as I say all the time, you know, Joe Friday, just the facts. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, the policy people whether they're control market or licensed states, um, have the best vetted regulatory uh, and, and sales data and everything that they need to make good policy and business decisions. Yeah, you know, and you brought up one of the topics that I really enjoy hearing about at the last couple of NAPCA conferences I've been to, which is the idea of uh, better communication of the benefits of the control state model on the general populace, or just in general, how the control states help the states they're in. You know, the great E.J. Powers uh, from up in New Hampshire uh, is always uh, talking about this. And I think it's a wonderful point is certainly the control states do so much good for their their states. They do so much good for the general populace. They raise so much money. They do such a great job for, uh, you know, and wh what does this money go towards? The money goes towards so many things that help uh, the state, the people in it, the education systems, you know, very, very beneficial model, the control states. And I, I, I hope to see continued communication um, that makes that clear to the broader populace. I had one last question that's a very important one. How do people go about attending the legal symposium? Buddy. Well, uh, we have all the information on our website, uh, napca.org. You can go online. You can register there. You can also contact our meetings department at uh, meetings at napca.org, or you can reach out to Neil or myself. We're always happy to chat. Um, and thank you guys so much for having us today. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, well, we won't see you at the legal symposium. I do hope to see you soon, Kyle. And thank you, Melissa. Kyle, Melissa, yes, thank you both for having us having us on, and uh, uh, look forward to maybe doing more of these in the future on the many different topics and areas that uh, NAP is involved in. Sure, I hope you have a great show, and we will be sure to get the lowdown from our colleague Jamie. Yeah, I'm sorry to miss it this time. It'll be my first time missing it in many years, but I'm sure Jamie will have a good time. I coached her already on how to handle herself at the legal symposium. <laughs> okay. And again, <laughs> and again, those websites were nabca.org and meetings.nabca.org. I'll make sure those are also both in the description of this podcast. Thank you, as always, to our listeners for joining us for another episode of On and Off. Please do catch our next one. And until then, cheers. 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 If you enjoyed the On and Off podcast, please hit the subscribe button. Also, you can find more great content at cheersonline.com and beveragedynamics.com, including recipes, product reviews, and interviews with the movers and shakers of the beverage alcohol industry. 
You can also sign up for our free weekly e-newsletters for both publications on our websites. Cheers.